Right, morning, everyone. Uh, we, we, we're playing, uh, playing uh, with the technology this morning. Uh, I think everything that could possibly do an update has done an update this morning. Uh, so uh, we, uh, we're just uh, playing a little bit of catch-up. But it is great to be here. It's great to see you all. Um, and it's good that we can come and we can, um, we can praise and we can spend time in God's presence. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to move into a time of worship. Um, you, you know the score. I, I have to discourage you from communal singing, but um, you can worship in any other way. Uh, don't feel you've got to stay sat down. Do what is right for you to engage in worship. Um, and then we're going to hear, um, hear about why it's good to praise. Because uh, that's what today, that's what the focus of today is. Uh, we're going to spend some time doing that now. So, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We know that you hear whatever we, we say, whatever we do. But today we actively ask you to engage with us. We ask that you flood into our hearts and our minds. We ask that you help us to recognize how good the Father is. Help us to know your presence as we choose to praise you because you are good and we honor you and we lift your name on high. So Jane's not on camera. Um, not that you're not good looking on camera, Jane. <laughs> um, it's unbelievable truth that we are changed by his love, that we are found as we are, and then that God steps in and does something amazing in our lives. Um, that should be good to um, that should be good to give praise for. Um, before we, we, we go on and we just um, carry on with the service, I um, just want to announce that next week, and this is predominantly for people watching at home, uh, we're going to do communion. Um, so if you're going to watch on the video next week, you may want to have some bread, you may want to have some juice uh, available. Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, um, but we are going to take part in communion at some point uh, in the service next week. Um, so that's just a, a forewarn. For those of you that are here, you don't need to bring anything. Um, that'll, that'll all be sorted. Um, and we've managed to do it in a COVID safe way. Um, but I'll leave that till next week. Um, today, Andrew, do you mind just taking a bit of the reverb off, like all of it off? <laughs> Not quite sure why. I've suddenly got the voiceover. It's echoing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke about the book uh, of Haggai, and I mentioned that it was a uh, quite a small book, and it's a good one um, to read if you wanted to be able to stand and boast that you've read a whole book of the Bible today. Um, today, I'm going to speak from the book of Jude, 
um, which is in the New Testament. Um, it's the penultimate book. Um, it comes just before Revelation. And the book of Jude makes the book of Haggai look like a novel. Okay, uh, it contains one chapter and it's got 25 verses. So now if you say want to boast that I've managed to read a whole book of the Bible between, between breakfast and elevenses, that's the one to use, okay? Um, the purpose of the book of Jude is to warn his friends, uh, other believers, about false teaching. And it starts like this, it starts, and this is from uh, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about your salvation, we, about the salvation we share, I, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals who condemnation was written about, a long, written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immor immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Judas writes this book in, in a hurried way. There's, there's real urgency in it, which is probably why it's short. If you've got to pass an important warning to people, you generally find that going, stop it, is much more better than writing 52 pages telling about how Auntie Flo's doing and then at the end just popping in, oh, and by the way, you probably want to be aware of false teaching. So that, that's what, 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 um, what happens here. Um, the book of Jude is, is written um, to warn about uh, watered-down faith, about mixed-up beliefs. Um, it's written about some of the things we see in our own cultural context of where... Our desire to be tolerant, which is an absolutely good thing, leads us to a, a point of universality where everything goes, um, and it doesn't. Some of you are doing the, the Just Ten course with us on a Wednesday night as we're working backwards through the uh, Ten Commandments. Um, those of you that are doing that know that actually some of those are quite challenging. We sit there thinking... Do not covet your neighbor's um, wife or, or donkey or ass, depending on whichever translation you're going to go for. Um, and we think, well, that's okay, I don't covet anything. But all of a sudden, when we unpick it, it's really hard, isn't it? Or do not, get, uh, do not, do not steal. Well, I don't steal, of course I don't steal. But I did take a four-hour lunch break the other day. Maybe I did steal from my employer. Oh, I don't know, perhaps I do. Um, and this is the sort of thing that, that, that Jude is warning us about in this book. They're relevant today, even though he was talking about in the past. He's talking about hooking on to popular speakers um, who are really popular because they're fancy and do a really good performance. But their content, their belief, may be a little bit suspect. All of those things are good and all of those things we should look at but that's not what I want to talk about today. Um, the title for today could be Finish Well or it could be Doxology and I'm hoping this is going to be a slide up. I've spent a lot of time making these slides Andrew. <laughs> um, the end of the letter of Jude ends with a doxology. And I'm going to read that to you in a moment. 
And then we're going to unpack it. And we're going to unpack why it's good to end things well. Before I do, though, I just want to tell you who Jude is. Because Jude is the Latinized version of Judas. This is not Judas Iscariot writing this. Uh, this is um, Judas, the half-brother of Jesus, writing this. The best we can tell. And the name is changed to save that, that um, confusion between Judas Iscariot and, and this Judas. Um, it's really good. You find that quite often to, to change names. So it would mean really good. If, we, if there was somebody dodgy, in, dodgy about called Jenny, we might choose to call Jenny Guinevere. Um, if there was somebody dodgy called Philip, we might choose to call, call him uh, Filippo in order to, to distinguish that, that thing. If there was somebody dodgy going around called Darren, you'd have to call me Darren. It's the problem with 1960s names. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, we're going we're gonna to read from, from the end of, um, um, end of Jude. We're going to pick up in verse 20. But the, the doxology itself really starts in verse 24. And I think that, that verse can come up if we, we find that in a minute. It says, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Saviour, Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. What a great, powerful ending to a letter. It's a little bit better than putting kind regards or, or having that little internal argument about whether it's is it sincerely or, or faithfully. I can never remember which. This is an expression of praise to God. And, and we call that, we often refer to that as a doxology. It's either a short hymn of praise, usually used at the end of a service, or, or, or some text at the end of a letter. And, and the doxology contains two parts. And this is what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about how we praise God. Because so often we fail to praise him because we're too busy taking our issues to God rather than glorifying him for who he is. So a doxology always has praise. About talking about how good God is. And it almost always has an expression of his infinite nature. Because we get so wrapped up in our, our, our little lives of, of uh, you know, 70 years or 80 years, which comparatively is short, or, or the problems of today, or the problems of that 20-minute telephone conversation I've got to have with somebody that I don't really want to have, and I'm going to take that to God first. But God's internal. God is infinite. And we recognise that in this. The word doxology is not found in the Bible, but shape of words that form a doxology is all over it. We can go back to Exodus 
Exodus 15, 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Or into Psalms, Psalms 1, 4, 6, the Lord reigns forever. You, your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. They, can, they close every section of the Psalms. And Psalm 150 serves as a doxology to all of the Psalms. If we move into the New Testament, we can go into Matthew. And we can go to Matthew 6.13. It says, lead us not, you're going to recognise this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from this evil one. That doesn't sound like praise, does it? But I'll come to that in a minute. Doxologies occur at the end of almost every New Testament book. Romans, Philemon, Timothy 1, Timothy 2, Hebrews, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Um, and even into Revelation. They are a fundamental point in biblical scripture. Now you've heard me say before that when the Bible talks about something once, it's important, it's in the Bible. When it talks about it twice, it's probably quite important. When it talks about it lots of times, sit up and take notice. Well, sit up and take notice. Because I think we're being challenged to make sure that we don't miss this pattern into our times with God. When we unpick the, the, the uh, verse in Jude, if we can just put that back up, please, Andrew, um, it talks about uh, God preventing us from stumbling. Now, what do we think about that piece? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay? This stumbling that, that it talks about as not, uh, not going into because God protects us, doesn't occur, it doesn't refer to that occasional sin. You know, it doesn't refer to the day that uh, you, you, you stubbed your toe and the words that came out of your mouth were not entirely glorifying. Okay? What that's referring to is falling away completely. It's, it's falling away from the presence of God. Now, we don't have to work on that. We do sometimes have to work on our, our language or, or whether we gossip or not or, or, or whether we're a bit stingy when we're called to be generous. Those things we do have to work on with God's help. But on not falling away, it is Christ that keeps us there. That salvation was won once and for all on the cross, and God keeps us from stumbling. That is why it becomes praise. This is not saying, this is not saying, now to him is able to protect me from doing something wrong. This is saying, this is to the God that has saved me, that has changed my life, that prevents me dying, that has saved me from all condemnation and made me whole, and he's good. I think it's reassuring that that's not my problem today. That's God's problem today. And God looks after me and he looks after you. Jude himself reflects on this through the rest of his letter, talking about remembering the words that have been spoken before, the words that preserve you, about building yourself up in your holy faith by hooking onto that and going, do you know, God, I'm, I might not be perfect, I might not get it right every day, but I thank you for what you did on that cross, and I know that you're going to keep me safe. And we're called to make those exhortations to God, to declare that he is good and that it is him 
that makes us stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. Everything that has happened to us because of the cross allows us to enter in faultless. Paul expressed this in, in Ephesians 5, 27. He says, uh, talking about um, um, to be present to himself as a, ra a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or other blemish, but holy and blameless. Right, I want you all now to imagine. Okay, I want you to raise your right hand. Okay, I want you to look at your palm. Okay, and I want you to imagine that is a mirror. And I want you to look at yourself, and I want you to ask yourself, do I look blameless? And the answer is no. But you are, because God makes you so. So I want you to look at your hand again, and I want you to actually just imagine your face in there, and I want you to say to yourself, I am blameless in Christ. You can say that. You can, it's not singing. You're allowed to do it. <laughs> because that is what Jude is getting us to jaw to here. We are giving praise because actually... We are blameless in Christ. We are without spot or wrinkle or anything. We are holy and without blemish, not because of who we are, but because of what God is. And that's necessary for us to be accepted into God's glory. None of us can come and stand before the Father as we were. We come and stand before the Father as he has made us. And we shouldn't discount that. And, and with great joy, I think sometimes we forget that we're, that we're saved, to use that, that term. I think sometimes we forget that, that our future, post-death, is certain. I think that sometimes we forget that we're not alone. And we walk around like this. You know, deep joy, so deep it never makes it to your face. Um, we are called to be in joy. That doesn't mean we're happy. It doesn't mean that we, everything goes well. We know that. But when we focus on praising God, joy comes from our spirit and it wells up. God brings his scheme of redemption to pass. In Romans it says, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he is also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. I'm going to simplify that passage for you. You accept what God did on that cross. The rest he does. He will make you spotless. He will make you clean. He will justify you. He will let you stand up in front of the people that talk about you and you will be able to look them in the eye and say, I don't care because Jesus loves me. And then he will take you on and he will glorify you. So on that day that we know him, that we get to spend time with him and into the new earth, this is our promise. And it's all about him to own our only God and Saviour. It is all about him. When Jude writes this, he talks about glory, which comes from the word doxa, which um, is used to suggest dignity and honour, but, but it means more than that. Um, 
in front of all of these words, if we put the word ultimate, we get a little bit closer to where we should be. Glory, ultimate glory, majesty from Megalosune means greatness, but actually it means ultimate greatness. Authority from Kratos, meaning might and power and strength. Not, not like Andrew has from going down the gym, ultimate strength, ultimate power. Jude chooses these words to try and give some example of how great our God is and the amazing things that he can do for us. I think that's a great example. If only we can turn to God and start treating him as he, he is, I think we'll see God more and more. You know, if we can go in fervent prayer, both now and forever, and recognise that God before time did something huge. You know, he only created the universe. Um, but we can bring that to today. Because God is present both then and now and into eternity. How much more would we get out of our prayer life if our prayer life starts like this? If our prayer life starts by recognising that this creator God, our personal saviour, our friend is capable of all things and has turned us round rather than it starting with breast Doris next door pray for the cat whatever I'm you know you know I'm not being serious but but it, so often we get caught up in the lists of of, of needs that, that are there and we're surrounded by needs and we should bring those to God but more so we should praise him Jude's example is Really good for that. And I'm going to show you another example. You may know the words, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The 14th stanza of the morning hymn begins with those words. Can you put the video on? to see those words and those words are you know they're, they're a bit uh, they're a bit strange in the fact that this church we don't use tend to use the word ye and we don't tend to talk about the holy ghost but the power within these words is immense um and and these words um if you want to model for for how to incorporate some praise to god into your prayer life this is a good model
okay? Um, every word is pregnant with meaning, okay? It is something that stays in our minds and it's a great way of praying worshipfully. Because it starts with praise and that's what this is about. It's our enduring lifting of God to a place that he inhabits. I was really careful with my words there because do you know if you don't praise God, he still inhabits the high praise, high place. Okay? But we're called to praise. We're made to praise. We're made to join the angels in filling the heavens with that, that glory, glory to the highest. And when we praise, we find that our internal self is, is reordered, it's, it's lined up, it's, 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 it's set on a better path. Uh, when you're grumpy, you're suddenly not grumpy. When you're worried, you're suddenly not worried. Um, I tell you, that's not just because you're distracted praising, that's because God steps in with his Holy Spirit and does something in our spirits when we praise. We're to recognise that we are in this posture of praise, that we are these creatures down below. You know, Genesis portrays a flourishing bounty of, of creation, um, leaping from all, all, its, um, all its might into multi-sensory glory. It talks about walking through the garden and the smell of it, and it talks about the, the dew and, and, and how it's nice. And I don't know if about you, you walk in the countryside, if you're, if you're into that sort of thing, that's a lifting experience. And why is that lifting? Because creation is praising God. And we're called to come and praise with that. And this hide ear of the heavenly host, recognising that there is more to life than you can reach out and go to. The heavenly hosts, immediately we think of, of space and, and the universe, but actually it's talking about more. It's talking about those unseen realms. Those realms where angels and archangels and seraphim and cherubim and the, those wonderful creatures in Revelation 4 are. And colloquially we call it heaven. But we're called to praise along with them. We're called to join our voices with theirs. So we're called to recognise that God is where this comes from. We're called to recognise that we are to praise, that we are not alone in our, not to focus on an individual piece, but to focus on all pieces individually. That the Father God creates us and sustains us and holds us on our course. He wraps his arms around us because he, craft, he crafted us. But we're called to look at the sun and remember that life-changing, life-invading uh, event of the cross and beyond that cross. The thing that lets us stand, as we've seen, in the holy place. And we're called to recognise the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our truth-giver, the one that indwells the disciple. The one who moves in response to our prayer, who affects change in our lives and helps us to affect change in others. Who was left as a gift when Jesus departed. The one who advocates with us. The one who helps us face the world. 
who leads us and empowers us, who directs us on our mission to talk about this good news that helps us to praise. I really want us to try and grab hold of why we need to praise as part of our worship, as part of our daily life, as part of our events. Our world is beautiful. It was created by God. But it is ill. In it we see both God alive, but we also see hunger, pain, fear and death. And it's easy to focus on the latter and bring them to, to bring them to God in prayer. But we also need to recognise that this God is worthy of all glory and honour and praise. And we need to give him what he deserves. God demands, seeks and requests our worship. And he deserves it. And it's the nature of us to worship him. So I want to encourage you to finish things well. I want you to get into, encourage you to get into the habit of doxology. Although it's not a verb. We magnify the personal, loving God who's in pursuit of every member of the human race. And we don't just present him with a list of problems. Because when we praise, when we give a doxology, we affirm him, but we affirm his influence on us and the world around us. We affirm the Father's loving creation and the Son's restoring act and the Spirit's renewing breath. So I'd like us to form that habit and finish well. Ending prayer well. Ending our day well. Ending activities well. And giving praise to God. And we're going to finish this service well. If you, you can tee it up. Because we're going to play one more video that is worship. Let's treat this as worship. This is not something to watch. This is not a... This is not a, a it's not a TV. This is something for us to engage in as we worship together. Praise God. 